So I don't know if anybody of you, any of you guys have noticed, but it seems to me that we seem to be coming up against quite a heavy pers- uh, attacks right now from the enemy. I've been looking around and not only just the church, but also individually we seem to have just fireball after fireball, flaming dart after flaming dart being flying at us left and right. And I don't know about you guys, but there comes a point where you, you almost become weary, you become tired of it, you start to get a little bit worn out. And that's why this morning I want to preach to you guys on perseverance. Because we, we need to persevere, both individually and as a church. I believe that we're on the precipice of great change and great growth as a congregation. And I believe that individually you guys are all growing at, at great rates as well, becoming stronger in your faith. And I want you to know that that makes the devil scared. Because the truth is that he doesn't want you to walk out what God has for your life. The devil wants you to give up. The devil wants you to quit. He wants you to decide, you know what, this is just too hard. And he tempts you with this idea that, that if I just give up, it'll be easier. He wants us to go back to just being Christians in word and not in deed. And the sad thing is, is the devil knows that he can't win. He knows that he doesn't have a chance. He has already been defeated. But he wants to bring as many people down with him as he can. And he, wants, he knows that if he can make you less effective, then you're going to reach less people. And that's one, one more person that gets dragged down with him. And he knows that if he pushes you far enough that you would turn away, then he can take you with him as well. Even though you've been given the gift of life freely. And all you have to do is grab hold of it. But our goal, however, is to, to press on. We have to keep marching forward. We have to keep going forward, pushing against the resistance that is barreling our way. You know, I know I, I take a step back and I look and I watch the attacks that are coming against our children, that are coming against us individually, the, the attacks coming with, with the church as these different things have happened. And we don't have to get into details, but, but I know as I step back and I take a look at what's been happening over the past year or so, but especially in just the the past couple of months, I know the devil is not wanting us to move forward. Because you see, the reason that there's resistance is because we're pressing on in a direction that the enemy doesn't want us to go. We're going one way, he's going the other way, and we're bumping shoulders. And if there wasn't any resistance, we might actually have to wonder a little bit what the heck is going on? If you're ever walking in your life and there's no, in, there's no pressure from the enemy, there's no resistance, you have to ask yourself, am I walking the same way he is? I've often wondered how people like Peter could rejoice when they were persecuted when they were, when they, and the apostles when they were beaten for Jesus. In Acts 5.40-41 it says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I don't know the first times I read that. I thought that was kind of strange. that They, they were beaten. They were hurt. And they, considered, and they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer. 
You know, I, I think about, I always try to, when I read the Bible, I try to think of a, applicable ways that it happens today, and I had a hard time with this one because all I'm thinking is like, man, what if I had this friend and he walked up and he cut me and poured salt in the wounds. And he's like, you should be happy that you had the honor for me to cut you. And I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense in my head. Why would we count it joy to suffer? And I began to recognize that they weren't rejoicing for the suffering. But they were rejoicing for what the suffering meant. They weren't happy that they were beaten. Anybody that would imagine they were happy that they were beaten, it's got to be crazy. But they recognized when they had the resistance against them, when they had this stuff happening, they recognized that they were on the right path, that they were doing something for God. They rejoiced not because of their suffering, but because they knew they were being effective in serving their king. And today, I want to take some time and look at what the Scripture has to say about the works of the enemy and how as Christians we're to to uh, persevere. I'm going to have trouble with that word all day, I have a feeling. That's a weird word to say over and over. Persevere. So let's go ahead and take a look at what the Scripture has to say. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 17-18, it says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. You see, this is Paul speaking. He had spent some time with the Thessalonians. He was helping them grow. He was preaching with them. They were planning a church. And we see that Paul loved the Thessalonians. He co-labored with them. The scriptures before this say that the church in Thessalonia imitated the church up in Judea. And not only that, the country, their countrymen were persecuting those in the church of Thessalonia the same way that the Jews persecuted the church in Judea. They were doing things right, and they were being persecuted. And then it says that, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. He was actually driven from the church working with him because of persecution, the enemy was coming up against him. It doesn't say that he left of good spirits and they, they, they sent him on his way, but he was torn away from them. And he says, in person, not in heart. His thoughts were with them. His prayers were still with them. He was still standing alongside of them. But for whatever reason, whatever happened, he was pressed away by those who were in opposition. The enemy was at heart at work to thwart the work that they were doing. Because they were being successful. They were building a church. They were leading people to Jesus Christ. People were coming to know the Lord, and they fought against Him. And then it goes on to say, Paul says, you know what? And I wanted to go back to you guys. I wanted to go back and work with you guys some more. I love you guys. But what's it say? That Satan hindered him. You know, one thing we have to recognize is that when we're walking in the will of God, Satan is going to come against you. Satan is going to attack. When you're ticking the enemy off, he's going to send his demons. He's going to work against you to stop what you're doing. Now the truth is that all problems in our life are not necessarily caused by the devil. We're too quick to say that, oh, this is the devil attacking me. Sometimes we go through problems because it's life. You know, when, when somebody dies of old age, 
probably not the devil attacking. That's just part of life. People die, even though it hurts and we grieve. And many things we do to ourselves. You know, it'd be foolish of me to just start giving God a hard time because I'm overweight. When the truth is, I just can't stop eating cookies. Although, in my defense, somebody brought them this morning. <laughs> but I can't blame God for that. Some things happen because of our own stupidity of the things that we do. But there are true times when the enemy is going to come against you. And you'll see those things when you begin to see timing and intelligence behind what's going on. When I look at what's happening to us in the church right now, there's a lot of timing and intelligence going on right now. The enemy knows that what we're coming into, the season we're coming into, and he doesn't want, to, want us to get there. He sees you growing, and he doesn't want you to get there. And the truth is that when the enemy comes against you, this resistance, it can be effective. can be very effective. In this case, Satan hindered Paul from coming. Paul, who I think we can all agree, wrote most of the New Testament, we can all agree, is one of the mightiest men of God that we've ever had the opportunity to read about. And the enemy hindered him. The enemy came against him and actually hindered him. Now we know that Paul never gave up. He kept on pressing forward. But the enemy was effective for a time. The enemy is going to come on strong when you're doing great things for God. That's one thing I want you to know as we go through this. It's not because we're doing something wrong. It's not because we're failing, but it's because I believe that we're doing something very right and the devil doesn't want it to happen. As we walk the path God has for us and as we're obedient to the call he has for our life, we can be sure that the devil's not going to stand back and not try anything and just let us have our way. He doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't want you to succeed. If you're a new believer, if, if, you just, if you're young in Christ, what this means for you is that the devil is going to do everything that he can to try to drive you back to the old ways of your life. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be brand new. He wants to push you back to where you were before because in that time, he has, he has chains on you. He's holding you down. He's, you're defeated in that time. And he doesn't want you there. For the mature believer, the enemy is going to try to wear you out. The enemy is going to try to just come at you so often that you get so tired, all you want to do is give up. But I want you to know this, that if you persevere, you are guaranteed victory. Guaranteed victory in Jesus Christ. Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I can tell you right now, the stuff that we're all going through is not easy and it's not fun. It's really not. But you will come out the other side if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on Him, you will come out the other side. And He's going to be with you every step of the way. In Revelations 2.10 it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know one thing that is clear in Scripture? Is that Christians are going to suffer. 
You know, one of the selling points to becoming a Christian is how everything's going to be so much better when you accept Jesus Christ in your life. And I truly believe that. There are so many things in your life that are going to get better. But there are some things that are going to get harder as well. And the, the Scripture says that you're going to suffer. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You're going to go through it. You're going to have to, to fight and stand strong. But one thing we can know is we don't have to fear. Jesus said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Because behold, the devil is about to do some work. But if you're faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. First Peter 5, 8-10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The scripture then begins to point out the enemy as a, as a roaring lion, as, as somebody just looking to wait for a, ta- a chance to attack you, to devour you. It doesn't even say he wants, he wants to devour you. It's not just like a little swat with a claw. He wants to destroy you. The devil does not want you to be successful. But Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that, that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know, even though that we're attacked, we're prodded, we're poked, we can resist. We can press on and move forward. You see, the thing about resistance, though, is that it doesn't mean that the problems are just going to vanish. When the Scripture says, resist him firm in your faith, I think sometimes we get this idea that if we resist him, then he's going to be like a cloud and poof, go away. But the truth is that in order to resist something, something has to be pressing against you. Just by the nature of the word, that by definition, in order to resist, there has to be something to resist. If there's nothing pressing against us, that there's no enemy attacking, then we don't have to resist because there's no reason to. But if we are firm in the faith, we can know that we're not going to break. Have any of you guys ever stood in a river or in the ocean with a really strong undertow, a really strong current? Anybody know? We've got, we got a couple people. This illustration is going to go over like a wet noodle, I can see. You know, when you stand, if you've ever been there, at least somebody has, you know, you feel the pressure of that current flying against you. You feel sometimes it gets so bad you almost have to lean forward in the water or the, the current will press you away. And just like that, you have to resist. Now, if there was nothing there to resist... There'd be no purpose of pressing forward and standing forward. It's kind of like, this is what I know you guys. Has anybody ever had somebody hold the watch, hold, hold your hand in front of your face and pull? No, you just hold it tight. I'm going to pull. Hold your hand tight. Oh. Like, hold, make a fist and hold it as tight as you can. And I'm going to pull, all right? Now, if you know, if I let go and there's no more resistance, right, she's going to hit herself in the face. <laughs> and that took a long time to walk you through that. You guys never done that in school? Oh, don't do it now just because I showed you. But <laughs> we used to do that in school. We would take, you have someone hold their hand as tight as they can, and you pull, pull, and as soon as you let go, they'll hit themselves in the faith. Because 
while they're resisting, when there's something to resist, there's a purpose. But if there's nothing there to resist, there's no purpose in it, and man, it'd be a hidden face. And it's all good fun. Probably throw you in jail for that kind of stuff now, all the bullying stuff, and so don't do it. You guys hear that? No making people punch themselves. <laughs> or like when we used to do it, you just hold their hands and hit them. Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? See, now you guys made me lose my place. The, tr- <laughs> the truth is, though, when we stand strong, when we resist Him firm in our faith, then we can stand strong no matter how hard the current is pressing against us. If we stand firm in our faith with our eyes focused on Jesus, we will just trust Him. Then no matter how hard the current comes, you're going to be anchored in place. There's nothing that's going to be able to topple you over. And it doesn't mean that it's easy. If you've ever stood in a river current, or if you've ever any kind where there's something pressing against you, sometimes it's not easy. You know, the enemy also wants to make you think that you're isolated and alone as you're going through all these things. That's actually one of his greatest tricks is to make you feel like you're the only one struggling in a situation. But he, Peter says, resist him from your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You are not alone when you're going through this. You are not the only one that's facing this. And there can be comfort in knowing that you're not single down on this. You can talk to people, that you can pray with people, that have people pray for you. You don't have to be ashamed of what's going on or worried about it, but actually come together and stand together to resist what the enemy is trying to do. And then I think the biggest thing that we need to start doing as Christians is being forward-looking. It's so easy as you're going through a situation, as you're going through some struggles, to just focus on what's happening right now. And we, we look at our problems and our situation, if that's all we can keep our eye on, then the devil begins to win with us. But in Revelations here it says, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's forward thinking. That's looking forward to the reward that's going to be coming. As Christians, we have got to stop living in the moment instead looking at what God is going to be accomplishing through us and the ultimate prize that we're going to. Paul, Paul actually had it figured out in Philippians 3.13-14. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul looked forward. Paul went through more stuff than any of us in this room will ever have to go to. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was stoned so bad that they left him for dead. And he got back up and went in town and started preaching again. And he says, you know what, I forget all that. I'm not living in the moment. I'm looking forward to the prize. It's so easy to get caught up in how bad things are now and lose sight of where we're headed. And it can be, it doesn't have to be, it's all going to be okay because one day I'm going to be in heaven. But we can look forward to the short term as well. We are raising godly children so we can get through what's happening right now. 
building a church. We're reaching this city right now. We can look forward to the short term as well as the long term, knowing that we will receive the crown of life. That one day we will spend our time in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the promise of God to be strengthened and established and restored and confirmed in Jesus. So let's stop being consumed by temporary circumstances and let's keep our eyes planted firmly on the promises of God for our lives. Amen? Amen. So the question always remains. Well, if we know that the enemy is attacking, we know that we need to stand firm, how is it that we accomplish these things? Because let's face it, every time you hear a man get up there and preach and he starts telling us what we have to do, man, it sounds so easy when he's saying it, but to live it out, it's a little bit different. So how do we accomplish these things? How do we stand firm in our faith? The first thing is we need to seek the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11-12, it says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles, and the judgments that He uttered. You guys remember on Wednesday, when He was preaching, He was talking about that God is our source. He's the source of our strength, and only in Him can we hope to persevere. We have to press into Him. We have to seek the Lord and His strength. Because the truth is, without His strength, if you try to do this stuff on your own, you're going to crumble. Standing in that current, resisting the pressure of it tumbling down upon us is not done in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says in Ephesians that with the full armor of God, we are able to be protected from the enemy. We are able to extinguish his fiery darts. But without it, we are wide open to attack. We are just completely open to his schemes, his plans. So to seek the Lord, that means that we need to seek the Lord in worship and in prayer. It's been time in his word. We need to press into God and just spend time in his presence listening to what he has to say for us. And I don't know about you guys, but what gets me in my life when I start slipping out of the presence of God is because not because I'm not doing these things, but because I'm doing these things out of habit. They become a ritual. They become just rote. And I'm doing them without actually spending time in his presence. And we have to do, when we do these things, it's to spend time with God, to get closer to him, to have that relationship with him. Not just empty words or empty worship. But when we press into God, we begin to see a real benefit in our lives. Because we become stronger in Him, the things that come against us just don't seem quite as big as they used to be. It always reminds me, have you guys ever seen the TV shows where it's got the little scrawny kid talking trash and the big tough guys, just they see something behind them, they get up and they turn and run away? You guys ever seen that? And the little scrawny guy's like, oh yeah, you better run. I got you. When really it's the big guy standing behind him just like, I think that's how God is sometimes. When we press in with him, the enemy tries to come against us, but he's standing up there with his shoulders crossed. We're like, yeah, you better run. When it's really him working in us. You see, we spend time with Him and we begin to recognize His love for us and understand His promises. We read about the wondrous things that He's done, His miracles. We see His strength 
in his tenderness and his compassion. And we see that all these things are directed towards us. You see, when we see God as we ought to see God, if we see him as he really is, then the outside world just fails in comparison. And the stings and the cuts of the enemy just fall in comparison to the greatness that is our God. In Romans 8.18 it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's all a matter of perspective. If you have nothing to stand against it, what we're going through now seems so incredibly difficult and terrible, and how could this be happening? But if we take a step back and recognize that in the scheme of things, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That God is so much greater than these things that it's almost silly even giving giving them attention when God is near. A few verses later in Romans chapter 8, Paul says these words. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? When you have God by your side, there is nothing that can be successful against you. We also need to start spending time in prayer. I think prayer is one of the most important things that you can do to become strengthened in the Lord. is having a relationship with Him. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If we are going to persevere, if we are going to overcome, we need to actually have a disciplined prayer life. That means we need to make the time to do it. Spend some time with God. Being careful not to let it fall into just a habitual practice, but actually spend some time in relationship with Him. Prayer is so important in drawing near to God because relationships cannot survive if there's no communication. If anybody's been in a relationship where someone begins to turn their back on them or begin to shun them or begin to ignore them, we all know that that relationship just won't last very long at all. Relationships thrive on communication and they need to have it. If we want to be in a strong relationship with God, we have got to be communicating with Him. And when we pray, He hears us. In 1 John 5, 14-15 it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Do you guys recognize how incredible it is that God hears your prayers? That you can talk face-to-face with God? That you can speak directly to Him? Before Jesus Christ died, the Jewish people could not speak to God directly. They couldn't be face-to-face with Him. Matter of fact, when Jesus died, the veil was torn to represent that the Holy of Holies, which was guarded by that veil, is completely open, and then we all can enter into the Holy of Holies. The Creator of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, spends time in talking with us, in communication with us. And I think it's so easy to become jaded of that. But if you just take a step back and think about how incredible that really is, it would blow your mind. And then he says that we need to be praying in the Spirit as well. 
You know, when you pray in the Spirit, you're speaking directly to God. In 1 Corinthians 14.2, it says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understand him, understands Him, but He utters mysteries in the Spirit. When you're praying in tongues, you're praying in the Spirit. And you're speaking directly to God. You don't even understand yourself, but you're a, a direct line to God as you pray to Him. When we pray in the Spirit, or in the tongues, the Bible says we also are building ourselves up. We're strengthening ourselves. And 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. When you speak in a tongue, you are building yourself up. You are strengthening yourself that you are, so that you are able to overcome whatever comes your way. And thirdly, when we pray in the Spirit, we're being helped by the Holy Spirit to pray as we ought to pray. In Romans 8.26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit will speak through you to God. You're speaking directly to Him. And you're building yourself up. And if you have any shortcomings in your prayer, the Holy Spirit steps in and takes care of it. And finally... It says, to that end, alert with all perseverance and make supplication for all the saints. We need to continue to pray for one another as well. Not only are we going through stuff, as the scripture says, that others are going through it as well. If you're being attacked, if you're suffering and you're struggling, struggling, you can believe that your brothers and sisters in Christ are doing so as well. Let's keep them lifted up in prayer. Let's keep asking God to touch their lives as they're doing the very same thing for you. Then in Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, there's a possibility of growing tired of doing good. The, the Bible wouldn't warn us to not do so if there wasn't that possibility. Especially when you see that you're serving God, you're doing the right things, and you look at what's going on in your life and it seems to be falling down around you. And you wonder, how can I be serving God? I'm honoring Him, but I keep going through all this stuff. Why is everything happening? Nothing good seems to be coming of my serving God. Actually, just quite the opposite. And it's so easy to just want to give up. And the lure of the enemy is to make you believe that it will be just so much easier if you give up. Just turn around and walk away. Stop serving God and you won't have to deal with this stuff. That's what he wants you to believe. But the devil is a liar. You're going to find so many times in the Bible that it begins to use agrarian analogies for what's going on in the spirit world as well. And they did that because this is the society that, that the people were living in right now. They farmed. They, they raised herds of, of sheep. Or flocks of sheep, I guess it's not a herd. But this is the, what the people did. They understood these things. And this works out great for us because even though we don't necessarily live in an agrarian society right now, we all understand the simple things of planting seeds and growing them. Matter of fact, if any of you has ever done a science project with your kids, I guarantee you've planted a seed and had it grown. 
all the while cussing out the school for having another science fair project. Boy, I hate science fair projects. There, is a, there was somebody that put up, that did their science fair projects on the science fair project. And it's like, this is, they had this graph of, of what happens. It's like 400% more parents' frustration, 500% more kids getting frustrated. Man, I hate science fair projects. But nonetheless, you understand what it means to grow a seed. If you've ever had to plant a bean in a cup and pour Coke on it, see if it's going to grow better than water. You know, we may not live in this society, but we can understand these examples. They're simple. They were written for people that were uneducated, that, that didn't have well-learned minds to understand. The Bible was not made too complicated. It wasn't made so that it would trick us that we couldn't understand. It was made that it could be easily understood. And this is the description that we're given. He says, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, the farmers understood sowing and reaping. They knew that there was a time to work hard. You know, when you're plowing and planting a field, there's not an immediate return. When you're having a science fair project and you pop the bean in the cup, there's not an immediate return. It would be so much easier if it was. I've actually now decided with my son, I try to talk him into doing science fair projects you can knock out in like a day. The ones that take like weeks to do just make you want to poke yourself in the eye. Farmers also know that when you're keeping the field free from weeds and making sure it's not and making sure it's watered and making sure the birds aren't stealing away the seed, there's no immediate return. And when the farmers have to get up early and work late, and they have to deal with the soreness of just living that kind of life, working that kind of life, they understand that there's not an immediate return. When you go out there and you plant the seeds, you have to tend them, you have to water them, you have to keep them safe. And it takes a while for that harvest to grow up. The temptation is to quit. Because it doesn't matter. The temptation is to quit because it doesn't matter how hard you work and what you do. It doesn't seem like anything is sprouting up. The temptation is to quit because there's no evidence that what you're doing is accomplishing anything. But the truth is that the farmers knew. That's why this was such a great example because the farmers knew that when they planted that seed in the ground, that underground something was happening. The seed was germinating. It was beginning to grow. And it was only a matter of time before it broke the surface and they could see what was going on. And even then, it wasn't something they could harvest yet. They had to wait till it grew all the way into a mature plant with fruit on it for them to harvest it. And the same is true for us. We have to persevere. We have to endure. We have to go through the hard stuff knowing that there is something happening. That there is something growing underground. And if in due time we will reap a full harvest if we can persevere and keep going strong. Amen? In Hebrews 12, 1-4, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This great cloud of witnesses that, that uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about are those great men and women of faith in, the ch- in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. He spoke of Abraham and Sarah, Joseph and Isaac and Moses, all these great characters of faith that are in the Bible. And at the end of the chapter 11, it, it starts out great for these people of faith, but then we see that they endure great hardship. I'm going to read a little bit here. It's, it's a little bit longer than I would normally read, but I think it's important to look at. In Hebrews 11:32 through 40, it says, And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put out armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. These all sound like pretty great things these men and women of faith went through. It shows they were victorious, that they conquered. But then he goes on to say, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these things, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us apart from us, that they should not be made perfect." You see, these people were enduring some incredible things. They were tortured, sodden too. They were beaten. They were destitute. But they pressed on in faith. These, this is the cloud of witnesses. It says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We can look to them for inspiration for what they've gone through. And they remain faithful. And even so, at least now, we've already inherited the promise. Jesus has already come for us. It's simpler for us because we can only take hold of that. But they were looking towards Jesus. And they died before He came. Yet they still pressed on in faith. And then it says we need to look to Jesus as well for our inspiration, for our reason to press forward. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So why? Why do we consider him? So that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You know, we can look at Jesus and all He accomplished, and it can, it can breed inside of us joy in our heart to recognize that, that the Bible says that He despised the shame for the joy that was set before Him. 
And we can ask ourselves, what was the joy set before him? But the joy set before him was us. You were the joy set before him when he went to the cross. Everybody in this room was the joy. This is why he despised the shame. He went to the cross for us. He endured such great pain and suffering for every single one of us in this room. And we can look at what he went through and it can encourage us to press on. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Have you guys ever heard any of those heartwarming and inspirational stories of runners or any sport where they're out there and they just want to give up? They don't have enough in the tank to keep going and all they want to do is quit. But they look back to someone they promised that they would finish, a friend or a family member, and because of those things, they draw inside of themselves and they continue on, they, they press on. The same is true for us when we're struggling and we don't know how we're going to go on, how we're going to move forward. We can look to Jesus and find that strength. Knowing that what we're going through is nothing in comparison to what He went through for us. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The truth is, no matter our struggle, no one in this room has struggled to the point of death. I know that's a fact because you're all still alive. But you know what? Right now, today, in this world, there are those who have. There are those being beheaded right now by ISIS for their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're persevering to the end. And I thank God that they're going to receive their reward. You see, they're enduring to the end. And I don't think we should give up any sooner, amen? In Isaiah fifty four seventeen, it says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. You know, when things are getting rough, things are getting tough, we would do well to remember that, that nothing that is fashioned against us is going to prosper. You know, the Bible doesn't say that no weapon will be fashioned against you. It says that no weapon fashioned against you shall succeed. Weapons are going to keep coming, but if you'll put your faith in the Lord, we will succeed. We'll come out the other side. The, the weapons the enemy puts against you are doomed to failure. In Psalms 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You know, we just sang that song today. Sorrows may come for the night. It's just a different translation, but that's where it comes from. The truth is, we may go through tough times, but joy is always coming with the morning. The Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. The truth is that we have the victory over every weapon and every attack and over the enemy as he comes against us. I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but the, the verse that it comes from is in 1 John 4.4. 4. It says, Little children, you are from God and you will overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than who is in this world. I get such encouragement from that, knowing that no matter what the devil tries, I got God on my side. 
And we'll go ahead and finish up here. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is our source. And we have peace, we have strength, and we have access to His grace by faith. And we stand in that grace. And I think that we actually can rejoice in our sufferings as much as it doesn't seem to make any sense. Not because our sufferings are good. Nobody thinks their suffering is good but because of the work that God does in us through them. God doesn't send these things to you. It's the enemy attacking you. It's the enemy working against you. But even what the enemy means for harm, God will work for good inside of your life. Because when we persevere through the suffering, we become stronger in Him. And our hope increases. It says, We rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. That's the thing about enduring, is that it eventually becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your character, where it doesn't become a struggle anymore, but that's just who you are. You're going to keep pressing forward. It produces in you character, and then that character produces hope. And the best part of that hope is that that hope does not put us to shame. When you're placing your hope in God, you're not going to be let down. You will never be put to shame for that hope. God is faithful, and He's going to see us through to the end. I know right now, as a church and individually, we're going through some tough stuff. But God is going to see us through it. And we're going to see such amazing things out the other side. As we all become stronger, as the church becomes stronger, and as this city is given over to God instead of given over to the enemy. Amen? So let's go ahead and, and recognize that God's faithful and He's going to see us through. All we have to do is persevere and we're going to see His glory shine. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.